Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloseted. I am your host, Rick Clemens, and I have to say that today's guest is somebody that through happenstance, we ended up being at an event together. We both have been through the same coaching training, but that isn't why I brought him on. I brought him on because he has an amazing outlook on life. He had a near-death experience, and now he really, truly just doesn't believe in bad days. And I know that's going to sound contrived and like, oh yeah, right, he doesn't. But I think all of us in our own way can actually see our way clear to have no bad days. But we got to do the mind shift and we have to be in that energy to make that happen. And this is why I wanted to bring Michael O'Brien on because I love what he does. I love his story. And I felt like this is a good fit for life uncloseted because sometimes you just got to uncloset all the bad all the crazy stuff that's happened to you and realize that could have been not only your last day, it could also be your last bad day. So Michael, I just want to say welcome to the podcast, man. It's been a couple of years since we met and talked, but I'm, I'm so glad you stepped up to the play. And it's interesting because we got connected through somebody else and it's like, oh yeah, we already know each other. So yeah, I know. Uh, well, it's awesome to be with you, brother. So yeah, so World Happiness Summit. I know. Can you believe it? I've got two years. Yeah, two years and change. I'm not sure about you, but when I tell people, yeah, I was down there as a coach at the World Happiness Summit, people are like, is everyone there happy? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, well, there's a lot of happiness, but I think people are looking to, you know, become happy and stuff like that. But it's, yeah, it's good to be with you and your listeners today. It's awesome. No, it's really cool. And, and I, it's funny. I got the same kind of questions after that. Oh, so everybody was just really, really happy. I said, not necessarily, but I think people were like, how can I get the tools and what can I take in to continue to do this? And um, it's just been an interesting journey ever since then. And, and it's been interesting to watch what that's become too. We won't go deep into that, but um, it's been morphed and changed and all that sort of stuff. I watch a little bit of it, but um, we are here to talk about why you feel like just talking about no bad days has become your thing. Uh, and I love the, I love the, I just love the brand. I love why you're doing it. But for the listeners, I think it's important to really kind of, here's why this came into being. And it wasn't because you were just laying in bed one day and said, I'm going to have no more bad days. It was something much yes. bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I want to like echo what you said in the intro too. This is not about rainbows and butterflies. Mm -mm. You know, this is the practical reality that we get to choose our labels in life and all of our events are neutral until we label them. So I'll take you back and you know, take your listeners back to 2001. And I was, I was living the script that I thought society wanted me to follow right out of high school. I could work my butt off in high school, go to college, get a degree, get a gig, you know, meet someone, marry someone, start a family, move up the corporate ladder, all that jazz. I was, I thought I was doing that perfectly. And then 
you know, what was really happening, like I was sort of chasing happiness. I was pouring a whole bunch of stress inside because I had to pretend to follow the script. And then we went out to a company offsite, one of these like Monday through Friday, and in between they're going to torture you with PowerPoint. And I brought my bike out <laughs> to get some exercise in. And I thought I was, I, I thought it was the smartest one in our meeting. I was like, I'm going to get some exercise. I'm going to ride my bike in New Mexico across that state off the states mm-hmm. I've ridden my bike in. And on the fourth lap of that morning on July 11th, I came around the bend. And a SUV was fully in my lane, heading right at me, going about 40 miles an hour. Mm. And Rick, I remember everything about that day, like the sound of me hitting his grill, the windshield, screech of his brakes, the thud I made when I came to the asphalt below, and Mm. I regained consciousness. And I asked the EMTs a question that only another cyclist can truly appreciate. I asked them how's my bike? And they mm-hmm. just looked at me and they, they're like uh, writing down some notes that maybe we should check in for a traumatic brain injury. And certainly right. I had a major concussion and I was, I was in the worst pain I ever felt in my life. And I knew like my life was in the balance because mm-hmm. of the energy of the moment, you know, yeah. it was body language. It wasn't anything that the EMTs were saying, but I knew uh, this could have, could be my last day. And yeah. As they put me on the medevac to take, take me to Albuquerque, I made a commitment to myself that if you live, Michael, because it was not if, it was a if, not a win. Mm-hmm. If you live, life's going to be different. You're going to stop chasing happiness. In, in essence, you're going to start living life through a different script. Mm-hmm. But at the time, Rick, I had no clue what I was going to do. It was just one of those things I said, I think, to keep my mind on something more positive than what was really happening to me in that moment. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you use the term stop chasing happiness. And then here, you know, this is kind of where we met is through that happiness conference, even though we both went through IPEX coaching training, but it was interesting for me after the happiness conference, I actually stepped back a little bit and started thinking about everything that was going on for me in my life at that moment. But what took me back was when I went and started thinking about what was going on for me when I did come out of the closet. And it wasn't that I was chasing happiness. I was wanting to step away from a false sense of happiness. And it wasn't until I had been at that conference and I couldn't even tell you who, you know, who spoke or anything. I mean, I remember Sean Anker being there, happiness guy speaking, but it wasn't even his. I think it was just the general energy of that whole experience. And I remember flying home from Miami to California and that thought crossed my mind is what was I stepping away from? And it really was this false sense of happiness to come out of my own closet to be who I was, yet I wasn't chasing happiness. That started happening after I became who I was. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be happier, but I wouldn't even call it chasing happiness, but I'm glad you brought that up because it was like a trigger point that hit for me in that whole happiness conference. And I think a lot of people do chase happiness instead of just being in the space of, okay, this is, this is happy. This makes me happy. Even when it doesn't, gosh, there's so many things, even in the worst of times, there's things to be happy about. And I'm just curious Absolutely. for you. Well, here's something I'm curious about, Michael. Um, there you are laying there. Worry about your bike. Yes, fellow cyclist. I totally get that one. Um, yeah. But when did you realize that? Because as you said that part of your story, there was almost this thing for me, and maybe you didn't, but it seems like to me there was almost this realization that, okay, and if I don't make it, I just don't make it. 
I'm sure it was scary, but I almost kind of felt like, as you said, that it's like, I, I've come to terms with this. Yeah. So there was, there was a time really up into that, uh, that morning, Rick, where mm-hmm. the whole concept of dying mm-hmm. freaked me, freaked me out. Like mm-hmm. I was scared of die, dying, mm-hmm. uh, but I, here's the reality. I wasn't really living right. I was on my mm-hmm. hamster wheel. Just like, yep hustling grinding as the kids say nowadays Mm -hmm. and some of the adults right and so i came i did in that moment just lying there because i I couldn't move just getting me on the backboard board Mm. to get me into the helicopter was like torture Mm. i came i came to accept the sort of i accepted this part of the moment that I could live or I could die. This could be it. Like, I'm not going to be able to see my wife. I'm not going to be able to see my girls, my colleagues, mm-hmm. that this could be it. Um, because the vibe of the scene was that grim. Wow. And I, so I've, I've come out of it, not, not being scared of dying anymore, you know, but I'm also like living, right. Cause I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm like stepping into every day with like, all right, I get another, I get another crack at this. Like, yeah. this is like, let's make it happen. And it wasn't until later in my recovery until, cause when I, when I came out of my first surgery, which lasted about 12 hours mm. and what, what I realized as the doctors told me what happened, I broke a whole bunch of everything, but my left femur shattered. And mm. when it shattered, it lacerated the femoral artery. So wow. in essence, I was bleeding out in the middle of nowhere. My, the doctors told my wife, had I been 10 years older and not healthy at the time, I would have passed away before I even got to the hospital. Mm. So they told me about how the driver didn't have a, a proper license. His license had been revoked. Mm. He had five DUIs on his record. They mm. painted a picture of like dependency and like pain and suffering and more surgeries. And right, like, right. you're probably not going to get back on the bike. You're probably not going to be able to really walk well again. Mm-hmm. So life got like really dark and I was revengeful and the whole thing. And I, and so when I said, Hey, like life is going to be different. I was going to stop chasing happiness. In those early days, I just, I wanted to go back to chasing happiness because I couldn't find anything happy about my situation mm-hmm. at all. Like in the whole mm-hmm. spirit that we go where our eyes go. Mm-hmm. But then when I came back to New Jersey and I was in a rehab session, I realized that if I was going to get my body right, I needed to get my mind right. Mm-hmm. And it was then I decided, okay, that day, way back then, July 11th, that's going to yeah. be my last bad day. Even though you're going to have bad moments, challenging yes. moments, and you're going to have emotions of sadness and anger, and you're going to feel maybe even revengeful. Mm-hmm. But, th- but those are just moments. And I don't, have to give moments any more fuel or any more time than they deserve. Because at the end of the day, what I realized in that aha or shift, if you will, that if I can go to bed each night with my wife and my daughters in my life, then how can I ever call it a bad day? Those three are three reasons to sort of build into tomorrow. And I got into the whole concept and some of the stuff that we learned through our coaching work Mm -hmm. is that, our events are neutral until we label them. And then we also have a moment between the trigger or the stimulus and our reaction or response. Yep. And I knew I had to make that a little bit longer so I could be more thoughtful about my labels yep. and be thoughtful about how I was showing up. 
because if I wanted to get my body right, I needed to get my mind right. And to be honest, I needed to get both right mm-hmm. because both weren't making enough progress for me to get back up on my feet and out of the hospital and home and right. try to be a try to find my new identity because I was unsure about who I was going to become because what I was was destroyed by the SUV. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. As you're talking, I'm going back to the months, probably about the year, but I'm going to say for sure the first six to eight months after I came out of the closet, how similar I felt. I was in getting in really great shape, but not in a good way. I wasn't eating. I Mm. was cycling like a madman. I was cycling about 70 miles a day four to five days a week. And, um, I was unemployed at the time. So it's like, I'd hop on, you know, get on the job boards, send out resumes. And then I'm like, okay, now what the fuck do I do all day? So I get on my bike and I go (laughs) ride. But then because I was going through the divorce and like struggling with money and everything, I mean, my diet consisted of top ramen and wine. And so suddenly my, my body physically from the outside looking in, it's like, Oh my God, Rick's becoming like this, like lean, you know, riding machine sort of guy. Yeah but my mind wasn't in the right space. And uh, suddenly I had a crisis in that because suddenly in my own way, I got hit by an SUV of, I'm in pretty dang good shape, but I'm drinking, I'm smoking, and I'm not feeling good. I'm not feeling good because my head, my mind wasn't matching what my body was doing. And that's when the crash really happened for me. That was like, I've got to get this pulled back together. Because otherwise I won't be, I won't survive all this that I worked 36 years for to finally get to this moment. Like, here I am, I'm gay. I'm being my true self. And now I'm going to go kill that even. And just listening to you, it was so interesting because I went right back to those moments of like, dang, this is like parallel lives here in so many ways. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a different, different vehicle, right? Yeah, it is a different vehicle. And I think this is what I find so fascinating about the work that you and I are so blessed to get to do with people is we're all really not that different. It's just the mechanism. It's the situation. It's the vehicle that their personal stuff shows up in. But in reality, we're all kind of doing the same thing. We're all walking that same walk. It's just slightly different nuances to it. So um, so I'm curious, as you started to realize this was happening, what was the consistency, the consistent driver that said, okay, I, I'm never going to have a bad day. And I love this statement that you made about not letting the moments be any more than what they are and not giving that attention because there's a line in one of my talks where it says, fears are only as alive as we give them life, which is the same sort of thing. We bring, all, we bring this stuff to life. Nobody yeah. else does it. But for you, when you started to see this, what was like that trigger that said, okay, I'm consistently going to keep focused. I'm going to go do this. I'm not going to let a bad day ever take me down again. What was that consistency piece for you? Well, it started with like, really, like, why, why do you want to show up, right? And before I was showing up, like the society, societal answer is like, well, for my wife and my girls and then my career. But a lot mm-hmm. of it was like, my career, like you want to get to a, a level of significance, you know, sort of chase the demons away of like, you're not enough. Right. And yeah. so, and then you're, you're, you're worthy. And, you know, I was, I was one that wasn't really fond of school. I wasn't, you know, I don't want to go hyperbolic and say like, I was the worst student ever. And I've, you know, come up from the ashes. I was just, school wasn't my thing. It wasn't 
my place to really set forth or set in place an identity. Like my identity sort of came from athletics. And I thought, well, in business, I could make something of myself, right? right. And if, if I just get that extra promotion, then I'll, I'll make it. I'll be there. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of uh, comparisonitis in terms of mm-hmm. like what I had versus colleagues had or neighbors had. And, you know, living in a, a pretty well-off area of New Jersey, just New Jersey's expensive anyway, being close yep. to New York City where you live, right? Yep. It's so easy to compare yourself and what you have to everyone else. And mm-hmm. I decided that that was the first thing I had to let go. I had to stop doing the comparison thing mm-hmm. and just focus in on, I really like, focus, best husband, best father, best version of who I could be. And then I like just intuitively, I knew that my mornings mattered. I've always been a morning person. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, the very next day I decided to start like a new morning ritual. So I got, I scooted out of bed into my wheelchair, wheeled myself to a quiet place in the hospital and there I started what was a mindfulness practice. I, I knew nothing. Like, this is 2001. Like, the only people that did meditation were eating grape nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like no, one, no one did that stuff, right? right? Like, no one I knew. And so, and I didn't, all I knew is that I, I needed to have some quiet moments to really think about how I wanted to show up for my therapy, show up for my visitors, stop pretending that it's all good because when the hospital was dark, I used to just cry myself to sleep and I got worried about my, my future. Yep. And then when people would visit, I'd be like, yeah, we're good. We're all good. It's all happening. I'm making progress. And I didn't believe a single thing of that Rick, in the moment. And I knew, okay, well let's, let's change the story. Yep. And this is well before some of our coaching work and the vocabulary that we now have. Right. Thanks to coaching programs and TED Talks and Brene Brown and everything. I yeah. I just knew that I had to get I had to get the story I was telling myself sorted out so I could show up for myself and for others in the way that I wanted to. And that became the ritual. And it's interesting that this ritual, as you were talking through that, it was so well before Howard Elrod's Miracle Morning, too. And that's yes. really what his book is about. It's a, it's a ritual. And I find that the more we allow ourselves, whatever it looks like for each of us individually, I don't want to say there's any one right way here, folks, but the more we allow ourselves to step into a ritual that feeds us, feeds us in a very healthy way, it's amazing what begins to happen in our lives. And back to that question of, you know, why do you want to show up? I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, well, why do you do this? And at first I was like, I gave the standard pat answers. Oh, you know, because it's important to me to, you know, help other people and all this stuff. And then I thought, Rick, you're just bullshitting. Get real. Why do you do this? And I finally got into the place that actually is, if I don't do this, I'm screwing with the guy who put me on the planet. Mm, I I was put here to do something and I'm fucking with him. I don't want to fuck with him or her, you know, however you want to believe. I don't want to fuck with the universe. And that's really my truth because I've found that the more I lean in, even in my most scary moments, the more I lean in and go, okay, I'm supposed to be here. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. The easier stuff gets. Doesn't mean where there's no challenges. I mean, it doesn't mean there aren't bad times, but I'm, I'm similar to you, man, where I'm like, there isn't really a bad day unless you allow it to become a bad day. There can be a bad moment. 
that if you don't, if you control that moment or you stand with that, be in that energy with that moment and go, okay, now how do I choose to go show up? You can shut that thing down and have a really good rest of the day. It may take an hour. It may take two hours. It may take four, but I find it so fascinating. You know, when you ask somebody, how was your day? Oh, it was a really bad day. And I can really piss people off because sometimes when they say that, I go, really? From the moment you woke up to the moment you went to bed, it was all bad. But I love doing that because it stops them in their tracks. Yeah. No, I love that question. Or, you know, sometimes I also hear, I hear that too in my circles and my travels. But I also hear mm-hmm. like, hey, how was your day? And it was like, meh, it was okay. Meh, it's okay. It was like, it, which is like, meh is like worse, worse than vanilla. It's like, it's like, so it's, they haven't really gone as far to label it as bad, but it was just like, it's okay. Right. I'm getting by. I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's like, there's so much more to life than that. And hey, I have my bad moments. Too. Of course. You know, I have, I have things that trigger me. What I've learned along the way and going back to just the rituals and routines is that the things that trigger me today are infrequent, mm-hmm. right? So I have fewer things that sort of get me going. And if they mm-hmm. do get me going, I can get out of them faster and then onto the work that the universe wants yep. me to do, right? Same with you. Like yep. I gave all like the standard answers. And even yep. if I reflect on my transition from entre- into entrepreneurship from a corporate career and like, why do you want to be a coach? And the, the answer that everyone, ah, I want to be there to help people, right? And it's like, I, that was only partially true in the beginning. You know, part right. of it was like, well, you know what? I really need this gig. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I need to make this because now, now this is all me. And you go back to identity and you bring back some of the stuff from when you were younger and all that, all that horse shit that sort of gets thrown into it. But over yep. the five years since I left my corporate gig to this moment now, I I have a but much clearer grasp as to why I'm around. Like, why did I live that day? Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. really is trying to help more people not allow those bad moments to turn into bad days. Because one bad day can cascade into another bad day. And then all of a sudden, you're putting a whole bunch of those together and you're not yep. going anywhere. And... Mm-hmm things in your life start to crumble. You know, it's, you know, yeah. it's a relationship, it's a career, it's health. It can be any number of things. Yeah. You just start stacking them all up and any, it can become any number of things. So we're kind of coming up on a big moment for you. You are releasing a book on the anniversary of when all this happened. So why don't you bring us up to speed on that? What's the name of the book and you know, why on the anniversary? I think I know the answer to that. It's kind of a silly question. Yeah, well, on the anniversary, it's, it's sort of like a second birthday, but in some ways I treat it as a bigger birthday than my original birth date in being. Mm. And I try to do big things on July 11th. My memoir got released on July 11th in 2017. That's called Shift, Creating Better Tomorrows. And that's more about the story and all the proceeds are given away to charity, World Bicycle Relief. This Mm. July 11th to celebrate my last bad day turning 18. So it's an adult. It can vote and it will vote next year. Right. And it has a voice. And to celebrate the 18th mark, I'm coming up with a new book, coming out with a new book called My Last Bad Day Shift. And that's more of a how-to. It's shorter. It's more concise. But it helps the reader with some of the rituals and routines I do in the morning at work and in the evening to 
prevent those bad moments from turning into a bad day. And it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm super excited about it. You know, obviously it's a good companion piece to my memoir, but it's something yeah. that people can carry around with them as a good reminder, just to have that awareness and know that they, they have some agency in terms of how they react and respond to the things that happen to them in life. And I'm so excited that this is coming out because I, I think it's interesting to watch when we come in to do this work for whatever reasons we do. And most of the time it is to be of some kind of service. We've lived the, we've lived the experience to some degree and, and we can share our stories and everything on stages or on podcasts like this and things such as that. But the mediums are always so interesting. And I love that you're, you're kind of doing what I did with my first book, except it's you're doing it in a separate step. In my book, I did like, here's my story and here's how to kind of do this sort of stuff. I love that you're coming back around now and giving the tools. You're, you're sharing the tools and um, moving it forward so that people can really take action on this stuff. And I think in this day and age, people really truly want to take action in their lives. Sometimes they just need that extra little kick. So, um, and speaking of extra little kicks, um, Michael doesn't know I was going to do this, but when I learned that he did have a book coming out, um, I typically do this with my listeners. So if you are interested in getting a copy of Michael's book, I will be giving away two copies of the book. I will get them ordered and then I will send them to Michael and have him autograph them and then let him send them on to the um, people who say they want the book. Wow, that is very cool. That is a pleasant surprise today, man. I love doing that with people who are, who are authors. But yeah, because I think this work, the sharing, the giving, and you know, I know somebody listening, and, and I leave it up to the universe. This is one of the things I've learned is like, okay, I said I'm going to leave this up to you. I'm not going to rain on your parade universe anymore. I leave it up to the universe. If somebody's moved by it, they'll send me an email if they're not then we're okay with that too. Yeah. But if you are interested in getting one of Michael's books, just email me at rick at rickclemens.com. Say I want Michael O'Brien's book. And that's rick, C-L-E-M-O-N-S.com. And I will get it ordered and shipped over to Michael. He can sign off of it. Of course, he's going to have to pay the postage to get it to you, but I don't think he's going to mind. I don't that, mind that so. at all. And I will even make a little extra donation to your good name to World Bicycle Relief because of it. Cool. Love it, man. So, um, so before we wrap it up here, if you could give somebody one little piece of advice to like, just keep moving things forward to go have fewer bad days, what would you like to leave the listeners with as we wrap up? Here? So one of the things in the new book is called grabbing a PBR, which does not stand for Pat's blue ribbon, which <laughs> for some people, that sounds like a good idea. So this is something that I developed through my recovery and it's really just connecting with your breath. So PBR stands for pause, breathe, and reflect. And it's a simple, you know, box breathing technique. I know a lot of people yep. now, you hear a lot about this on the internet and stuff as far as like how the breath is so important, which it is. It's the thing that we come into this world with and we leave with it. And it's the one constant through a whole sea change of what we call life. So grabbing a PBR is perfect in those moments where we feel ourselves getting somewhat percolated in between meetings, mm -hmm. stuck in traffic before a speech, like you're going to do another keynote, you know, in Portland mm -hmm. is you want to grab a PBR and, you know, it has that little, you know, <laughs> that little thought bubble that you think it's a Paps yep. ribbon. And so it's, it makes it cute to remember, but mm -hmm. breathe more, you know, we, we get so hurried so hamster wheelish that we forget to breathe. And when we breathe, we can slow everything down. We can be more reflective, more thoughtful. And when we're there, 
we can make better decisions about how we want to live our life. And you have spoken the truth, my friend. It's funny because I was rehearsing yesterday and it was going really great. And then I'm suddenly like, God, I'm out of breath. I'm like, Rick, it's because you're not breathing. <laughs> you, you got what you're doing, but you're not breathing through this. And so the second rehearsal I did yesterday, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take that breath before I even start. And then it was interesting because that breath led to the other breaths and I know where to breathe. It's like, you know, it was just one of those moments like, can we just get through this freaking practice, you know? And that's when I know, that's when I know for me, when I start saying, can we just get through this freaking practice? I'm done. I'm yeah. good. Let's just go do this now, you know? So, um, but again, brother, I am so glad we connected. I'm so glad the universe brought us together a couple of years ago at the world happiness summit. And I'm so excited for what you're um, doing here. And I love the no more bad days. That's just a beautiful sentiment here. And um, can't wait to see where it goes and what you do with this. And um, thanks so much for being here. Um, Rick, man, thanks, brother, for having me on. And to your listeners, hopefully they got a pearl or two out of our conversation. But I love the work that you're doing. I think it's courageous. It's needed. And I'll echo what you said. Like, I'm glad that the World Happiness Summit and IPEC brought us all together. And um, I'm glad that we're in our, like, the same little universe together. Excellent. All right, man. Thanks again. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end. And it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life on Closet. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change your life. In fact, if you really want to change your life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted and never stop stepping out, stepping up and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.